Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. One of the rare bright spots of the coronavirus crisis is that we have been given a glimpse of what the world might be able to look like if we took the environmental crisis seriously. Around the world, in the most polluted cities, the air is cleaner than it has been in decades. Oil and gas consumption has dropped dramatically, and as we observe Earth Day, it's worth reflecting on why this matters. My guest today is Bill McKibben. Bill is one of the premier environmental activists and educators in the world. His book, The End of Nature, was the first book about climate change and influenced a generation of politicians and activists. And he continues to do so around the world as the co-founder of 350.org. What do we want? When do we want it? Our planet's future is in the balance. Antarctica's ice, the Amazon rainforest, Russia's permafrost and ocean currents have all been identified as tipping points. Focus is on climate change. Over the last 10 years, sea levels have risen at an alarming rate. Biodiversity is reportedly declining faster than that of any time in human history. And millions, millions of people have been affected by extreme weather, like hurricanes and and floods. Warns the impacts of climate change are increasing. So Obama's talking about all of this with the global warming and that, and a lot of it's a hoax. Florence was closing in on the Carolina coast this week. The size of the threat it posed rekindled the discussion about the role of climate change in today's weather patterns. So here's the message from Jamie Dimon. Jamie. Move Chase's money out of coal, oil, and gas now. If you don't, we'll leave your bank. Hey, this is Bill McKibben. I've spent 30 years working hard for climate justice. Sorry. Not sorry. I want to start with trying to get a clear-eyed look at where we really stand with climate change today. And also, like, what's happening in the U.S. versus what's happening around the world? Most of the news about climate change is pretty bad. I wrote the first book about this 30 years ago, 1989, a book called The End of Nature. At that time, we were offering warnings about what was going to happen if we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything, so now, now those things are happening. We've raised the temperature of the Earth about one degree Celsius so far, and that's been enough to melt about half the sea ice in the summer Arctic. The oceans are about 30% more acidic than they were 40 years ago. Sea levels begun to rise. We see 
huge disruptions to the planet's hydrological system, the way that water moves around the Earth. That's because warm air holds more water vapor than cold, so you get more evaporation in arid areas. And with that evaporation and that drought comes horrific fires of the kind we've seen in California or most recently in Australia, where we think a couple of billion animals died in the course of those seven or eight weeks of blazes. Once that water's evaporated up into the air, it comes down again, and increasingly it comes down in kind of gully-washing storms. We've just come through the wettest 12 months on record in American history. We've seen the biggest storms in our country's history, including the champion of all time, Hurricane Harvey, which dropped something like 58 inches of rain, if you can envision that, on parts of Houston. So this is the new normal now. That's with a one-degree increase Celsius in global temperature. The problem is we're on a path to increase the temperature about three degrees Celsius, a little more right now. Even if we kept the promises that we made in Paris, which, of course, our country isn't keeping. And that won't be three times as bad as one degree. It'll be many times worse than that. The damage we're doing now is exponential, not linear, because we're going past tipping points. Uh, so that's the really tough news. If there's good news, and, and, and there is, it's that the engineers have done their job about as well as the scientists, the politicians have done theirs badly, you know. Uh, in the last 10 years, they've dropped the price of solar panel, wind turbine, something like 90%. And that means that the cheapest way to generate power around the planet is now usually the cleanest way. And that gives us a way out if we chose to take it. If we mobilized like we did at World War II or something, then we could make enormous progress very quickly. We're not doing that. That's why we're building movements to try and force that kind of action. And we're seeing now, you know, we're seeing the effects, right? We're seeing these fires. We're seeing weather unlike anything we've seen in the past. And it still seems like there's people that just don't see this as a critical issue. What do you think could change their minds? How do we get people to understand the magnitude of this problem? The first thing to say is one needs to have a small amount of sympathy for people because for the last 30 years, we now know, the oil industry has waged an all-out, incredibly expensive, incredibly effective disinformation campaign to get people to disbelieve climate science. You know, they went and hired the same people who used to work for the tobacco industry, and they spun the same set of lies that science wasn't clear, that we didn't know for sure, on and on and on. When, as great investigative reporting over the last five years now makes clear, the oil companies knew everything there was to know back in the 1980s. You know, they understood what was happening. Exxon had great scientists. Their product was carbon. Of course, they were going to study it. And when scientists told them with great accuracy how much and how fast it was going to warm, they were believed. Uh, Exxon started building all its drilling rigs to compensate for the rise in sea level they knew was coming. But they didn't tell the rest of us. Instead, they embarked on this very expensive and very powerful campaign of lying. So I have some sympathy for people who were taken in by that lie. 
The good news is their numbers have fallen very dramatically. With about 70% of Americans now who understand that there's a problem, the polling in the Democratic primary shows that it's either the number one or number two issue back and forth with climate change on voters' minds. And that's true for all voters, Republican, Democrat, and Independent, when you ask them below the age of 30. Uh, young people really get and are leading on this issue. So I think the problem at this point is less trying to persuade the remaining 30% who are ideologues mm. and unlikely to get persuaded. I mean, if you'd spent the last couple of decades marinating in Rush Limbaugh, you'd be you know, resistant to clear mm-hmm. thinking too. The challenge instead is to get some significant part of that 70% really engaged in the fight. We don't need all of them, but if we can get five, six, seven percent of Americans really engaged in this battle, then I think we can win it and change the political and economic ground rules. But it's going to take that kind of fight. It does seem to be politicized at this point. I do think that there's a divide. And I try to think about what the Republicans over the last few decades have had to gain. And obviously it comes down to money and the economy. And I think that it's great news that climate will factor in to this election. But I'm wondering, like everything else, how do we bridge the divide and make this less about a political issue and more about just humanity? Well, yes, that's definitely what we should be doing. And the problem is that the Republican Party sort of become a wholly owned subsidiary of the fossil fuel industry. That's where so much of its money comes from. The Koch brothers, who are by far the biggest players in American politics in dollar terms, are also the biggest oil and gas barons in the country. So it's no wonder why it's been politicized and partisanized. And I think the only antidote to that is organization, is getting people involved. And as I say, now among young people, much of that politicization has been moved past. Uh, It's so clear to them that the course of their lives will be determined for better or for worse by what happens in the next few years, that they've come together increasingly around this issue. The problem, if there is, Maybe less the split between Republicans and Democrats than the split between young and old. There are too many people of my generation who just have been unwilling to accept that we're going to need to make some change and we're going to need to make it quickly. What would be the point of pulling out of the Paris Agreement? Well, everything Trump has done around climate change has been designed only to benefit the short-term interests of the coal, gas, and oil industry. And so you pull out of the Paris Agreement to to make sure that you don't have to do anything to speed up the transition off fossil fuel. Look, we know that that transition is going to happen. 75 years from now, we're going to run the planet on sun and wind because it's free. But if you're the fossil fuel industry, you want to delay that transition as long as possible. You want to keep your business model alive as long as possible. So that's what they're playing for, and that's why they've been so you know, powerful in their support of Trump. Uh, it's, it's 
it's not that he can hold off the future forever. He hasn't been able to stop the collapse of the coal industry, for instance. Right. But he can slow things down, and slowing things down at this point is enough to really perhaps break the planet in the process. Time is the limiting factor here, Alyssa. If we're not able to make huge change in short order, then no other generation is going to get the chance because we will have moved past the point where it's really possible to change the outcome. Tell me about the time. Let's talk about time. How much time do we have and what do we have well, to do? In October of 2018, the world scientists brought together by the UN in this thing called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, put out their most recent report. And what they said was that if we had any hope of meeting the targets that we'd set in Paris to try and hold the increase in global temperature below 2 degrees Celsius, as close to 1.5 degrees Celsius as possible, that we would have needed to make fundamental transformations in our energy systems by 2030. And they defined that fundamental transformation as cutting carbon emissions about in half. So that's an incredibly tall order for a very short period of time. You know, 2030 is now 10 years away. And if we are going to make change on that scale, we're going to have to be doing it right now at an all-out effort. That's why, for instance, this year's election is so important. But it's also why it's so important that we don't just concentrate on politics. A lot of us have also been trying to take on the financial system that undergirds the fossil fuel industry. That's what this massive divestment campaign has been about. And now the campaign's targeting the banks and asset managers that provide the money for the fossil fuel industry. So let's talk a little bit about that. You've talked about investing in nothing that burns. Tell us what that means. Yeah. I mean, think about the paradigm of energy for the last couple hundred years since the start of the Industrial Revolution. Basically, dig stuff up and set it on fire. That's old school. What we have to take advantage of now is the fire that's raging, you know, many millions of miles from our planet on the sun and providing more than enough energy to meet our needs. It just needs to be built fast, the infrastructure, the solar panels, the wind turbines, to take advantage of energy from above, not energy from below. And a key part of that is financial when we started this move towards fossil fuel divestment in 2012, we didn't know how well it would go. We started asking colleges and things to sell their stock in oil and gas companies. Well, it's turned into the largest anti-corporate campaign of its kind in history. We're at $12 trillion now in endowments and portfolios that have divested in part or in whole. And every day, there's new examples. Just a couple of days ago, Brown University became the first of the Ivy League schools to join in. The New York City Pension Fund, the University of California system with its $80 billion in endowments and pensions, the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund, the country of Ireland, uh, you know, on and on and on it goes. Um, it's a remarkable list, and it's put huge pressure on this industry. I don't know whether you ever watched that guy on the television, Jim Cramer, who yeah, all about what stocks to pick and things. Mm -hmm. He came on a couple of weeks ago and said, 
Nobody's ever going to make money in oil and gas stocks anymore. You should sell them. Why? Because this divestment thing is spread everywhere. There's wow. divestment everywhere. We can't slow it down. So that's good. Everyone knows that Exxon and Chevron and Shell are climate criminals. But there's another name that belongs on that most wanted list. Chase Bank. You may think, why is a bank a big driver of the climate crisis? Well, let me tell you. Money is the oxygen on which the fires of global warming burn. If you can cut off that flow of money, it's like cutting off the flow of oxygen to a fire. You can put it out pretty quick. What it means to divest is, and we're seeing this with endowments and individuals that are coming on board to do this, is to remove one's holdings from fossil fuel companies. Now we're moving one ring out to the banks and others that finance these guys. I just had a big piece in Rolling Stone about Chase Bank, which is the biggest bank in the world and by far the biggest funder of the fossil fuel industry. Since the Paris Climate Accords, it's put almost a quarter trillion dollars into the fossil fuel industry. And I mean, that's just insane. I mean, it's just literally tossing gasoline on a fire. Right. So we have to slow them down. That's why some of us, you know, I got arrested in the lobby of the Chase Bank in January in Washington. I, we were on the inside, Jane Fonda and Joaquin Phoenix and Martin Sheen were on the other side of the glass looking in and cheering us on, which was kind of them. This was at the beginning of this campaign we're calling StopTheMoneyPipeline.com. And around Earth Day, there'll be lots of people doing similar things, cutting up their credit cards and, and trying to convince these banks that it's not worth it to keep trying to make some money off the end of the world, that they'd be better off having a world that worked where they could you know, keep giving people credit cards. So what can we do as individuals? We're pressuring the government to be better on the issue. Who knows if it'll move the needle at all. You must feel like you're screaming in the wind at times. Back in 2012, you wrote an op-ed after Hurricane Sandy, which obviously devastated so much of the Northeast. There was no real national conversation about climate. And then just a few weeks after that op-ed was Sandy Hook, where we also did nothing after a huge wake-up call, right? I mean, what is it going to take to wake us up? And then once we're woke, what can individuals do to make real impact? Well, this answer changes over time. And one of the things I have to prevent myself from saying is, since I started writing about this 30 years ago, oh, if only you'd listen to me then, you know, because right. 30 right. years ago, there were a bunch of small things that would have made a difference. At this point, I mean, it's important to change our individual behaviors. I'm happy that I have solar panels all over my roof and that they power my electric car and that I get to eat lower on the food chain and so on and so forth. But I also don't try to fool myself that that's how we're going to deal with this. At this point, the need for change is so large that we're really not going to do it one Tesla at a time, one vegan dinner at a time. The most important thing an individual can do to answer your question directly is to be a little less of an individual, to come together with others in the movements large enough to make change. Mm. That's why we started 350.org a decade ago, 
And now the good news is that we're by no means alone. We have tons of company in this climate movement. There's the good people at Extinction Rebellion. There's the kids from the Sunrise Movement who have put together the Green New Deal. You know, most inspiring of all, perhaps it's the high schoolers following the lead of Greta Thunberg all over the world in these climate strikes. And let me tell you, Greta's terrific. I really like her and enjoy working with her. And for the record, when we children tell you to panic, we're not telling you to go on like before. We're not telling you to offset your emissions by just paying someone else to plant trees in places like Africa, while at the same time forests like the Amazon are being slaughtered at an infinitely higher rate. Planting trees is good, of course, but it's nowhere near enough of what is needed and it cannot replace real mitigation and rewilding nature. This morning at 7.22 a.m. he wrote, so ridiculous, Greta must work on her anger management problem, then go to a good old-fashioned movie with a friend. Chill, Greta, chill. <laughs> Says the sweaty old man who's mad at a magazine because they didn't put him on the cover of it. We all know that small businesses are struggling right now. A lot of people are trying to figure out ways to help. Well, Shift4 is a payment processing company that supports thousands of restaurant and hotels, some of the hardest hit industries during this crisis. Well, they created an interesting way to help make your dollars to those businesses go further. If you visit www.shift4cares.com, you can purchase a gift card to any of the tens of thousands of small businesses across the country. For every card purchased, Shift 4, and that's number 4, so it's Shift number 4, will give an extra 5% to the businesses. That means a $100 gift card purchase will actually get $105 to the restaurant you've enjoyed so much. Their goal is to raise $200 million for small businesses and contribute $10 million extra in matches. So please go visit shift4cares.com. That's shift, numeral four, cares.com and see how you can help out. Thank you so much. The best news is there are 10,000 Gretas all right. over the planet, and I've gotten to know a bunch of them, and that gives me real hope. Movement building, history would, is the one thing that can allow the small and the many to stand up to the mighty and the few, and that's right where we are right now. With the coronavirus on everyone's minds, and I think everyone is incredibly fearful right now, but is there in your opinion, a link between climate change and pandemics? So coronavirus is extremely interesting. There's some people who have said, well, look, it's cut emissions in China. That's good. That's not good. This is not the way we want to cut emissions. And in fact, they'll rebound very quickly as we go back to something like normal. Here are the things to take away. We know that climate change makes a lot of diseases worse, though it doesn't seem to be a part of this one. There's so many other public health crises, dengue, fever, Zika, Lyme disease, a thousand other things that are caused when you raise the temperature. More to the point, what this reminds us, coronavirus, is 
that we have to take reality seriously. You can't, you know, convince a microbe to do something different because you would like it to politically. And you can't convince a CO2 molecule to behave differently either. Biology is real. Physics and chemistry are real. Reality can bite and bite hard. So let's be serious human beings here. You mentioned 350.org. Tell me a bit about that. Well, that's what we started a little more than a decade ago because there was no climate movement. It took its strange name from what the scientists were telling us all of a sudden was the most important number in the world, 350 parts per million CO2 in the atmosphere. That's the most carbon dioxide, they say, that you could safely have. And it's a number we're already well north of. We're at 415 parts per million CO2 right now. That's why the Arctic melts. That's why Australia burns. That's why That's why there's so much agony and so much injustice. Remember, the iron law of climate change is the less you did to cause it, the more likely you are to be hit hard soon. So we took that odd name in part because we wanted to work around the world. And we figured Arabic numerals would trip more lightly over linguistic boundaries than English words. When we started, it was myself and seven undergraduates at Middlebury College here in Vermont, where I teach. There were seven students. There were seven continents. Each one took one. The one that took the Antarctic also had to take the Internet. We set out to build a movement where there hadn't been one before. We had some beginner's luck. And, you know, within a year, we'd staged what CNN called the most widespread day of political action in the planet's history, 5,200 demonstrations in 181 countries. And we began the process of kind of coalescing people around this fight. Since we don't have much time, we couldn't just rely on education and rallies and things. We've also engaged in confrontation, helping start the fight against the Keystone Pipeline, which turned into, as you know, a huge battle, helping start this fossil fuel divestment movement. It's been a great pleasure to watch that movement grow. The question is, is it going to grow fast enough? And that we don't yet know the answer to. Well, let's talk about the Keystone Pipeline. You were arrested protesting there in 2011, right? Mm-hmm. On November 2nd, Sempuali 20 went live on Facebook to urge participation in a prayerful river action. Everybody's good, though. Everybody's in prayer, though. We got a, we got a couple actions going on, one by the bridge, one by the river. So that he and fellow Standing Rock activists could cross a creek to reach sacred native land. You feel it. You feel the tension. This land is where the Dakota Access Pipeline is being built. It's scary because to shoot bullet, rubber bullets at these people that are completely unarmed when they took an oath to protect them. Where does it stand today? <laughs> well, here's a good news story. Look, 2011, when we started this fight, no one thought we had the slightest chance. The National Journal, which is kind of an insider newspaper on Capitol Hill, published a poll of its 300 energy experts in Washington. And I think 93% of them said TransCanada would have the permit to build this vast pipeline by the end of 2011. It's a pipeline to carry oil from the tar sands of Alberta down to the Gulf of Mexico so it can be shipped overseas. That certainty that the oil industry would get what it wanted 
vanished when more people went to jail than had gone to jail about anything in the U.S. in a very long time. That summer, we had 1,200 people end up in the D.C. jail, and that turned it into a national and an international issue. And soon there were hundreds of thousands of people surrounding the White House. Eventually, Barack Obama said, okay, we won't build it. And that was good. It was the first time that the oil industry had lost a fight like this. Mm. Donald Trump, on his first day in office, signed a paper giving the company permission to build it. And I believe that Trump is under the impression that it actually has been built because he keeps talking about it. But it has not. People continue to block it and prevent it from being built. The Keystone XL pipeline extension would stretch about 1,200 miles, most of it in the United States, from Alberta, Canada, down to Nebraska. There are lots of pipelines out there, some of which would connect with this. So why all the fuss about this extension? First of all, the environment. Opponents say that they fear that this will spoil the landscape if there is a spill that it could contaminate groundwater for humans and animals. And they say this is dirty oil, a type of oil that when it's burned produces more greenhouse gases. At this point, the economics of it are so ruinous, I'm beginning to think it may never happen. That's good because it keeps 800,000 barrels a day of the dirtiest oil on earth in the ground. But it's better because the real effect was as people watched that, they understood that you could stand up to big oil and big gas and big coal. And now Everything gets fucked. Every frack well, every LNG port, every pipeline. We don't win every fight, but we win a surprising number of them. Even when we lose those fights, we delay these projects, and delay is good. Every month that we stop something is a month that the engineers back in the lab have to lower the price of the solar panel another percent or two and make the spreadsheet look that much worse. So it's been incredibly inspiring to watch people in every corner of the planet take up these fights, be willing to go to jail, be willing to be beaten, be willing to, well, some people have lost their lives. And it's insane that that's what has to happen. It's insane that we need to fight this hard to get our leaders to pay attention to what scientists tell us is the clear, plain, overwhelming truth. But I'm awfully glad that there are people willing to do it because clearly that's what it takes. Are there certain demographics or subsets of people who will be more affected by climate change? Oh, yeah. I mean, as with everything, the poorer you are and the more vulnerable you are, you know, that's that's who's going to get hit first and hardest. All the academic research shows that women get hit hardest, that people in the parts of the world, sadly and ironically, that produced the least carbon, Africa, say, get hit the hardest. Indigenous communities get hit extremely hard. The good news is these are also the people who are leading the fight. Look, mm. everybody was correctly overjoyed to see the big stand that indigenous communities put up at Standing Rock over the Dakota Access Pipeline. But it didn't surprise me a bit to see that happen because I knew that those communities all over the world had been already at the forefront of this work. Some of my favorite colleagues and people I've been working with for many, many years. And in every corner of the world, indigenous people are taking the lead. That's good in practical terms because often countries 
exiled their indigenous populations to reservations that just happen now to turn out to be on top of big piles of coal or pipeline routes or something. But it's also, I think, important for a kind of deeper reason. I think it's really powerful that the oldest wisdom traditions on the planet, the indigenous wisdom mm. traditions, are meshing perfectly with the newest. The view from the sweat lodge and the view from the satellite or the supercomputer mm. are very much the same. And what they're telling us, basically, is that the conventional wisdom that most of the rest of us hold, these ideas about endless economic growth and things, are fantasies that we better get past. Explain to my listeners the difference between climate change and climate justice. Well, climate change is what's happening to us all around, the ongoing heating of the planet with catastrophic effect. Climate justice is the reminder that it happens on a world that's deeply unequal and unfair, and that changes that happen deepen that unfairness and injustice. Because if you're rich, it's not that you can avoid climate change, but you can figure out how to live with it. If you lose your summer home in some place to a fire, you probably have another home to go to. But if you're, you know, a peasant farmer on the coast of the Bay of Bangladesh, the Bay of Bengal rises, you know, eight inches and pushes salt water into your fields and makes it impossible to grow food there. I mean, your other option is to live in a cardboard box on the edge of the national capital, you know, and that's what Already, we think last year about 25 million climate refugees were on the move. The UN prediction for how many we can expect by middle of the century tops out at about a billion people or mm. one human being and seven having to get up and leave their homes. You know, I think that there is also a connection between these vulnerable areas and countries electing authoritarian regimes that come in and make promises, but that actually make the issue worse because they are loyal to the oil industry. Oh, I think that's true. We watch all over the world this collection of autocrats, all of whom have in common their fealty to the status quo and especially to the richest people in it who are often people from the fossil fuel industry. So Putin in Russia, the Saudi royal family, Trump, I mean, you know, if Trump couldn't be bothered to roll out testing kits for the coronavirus, but when one of his big campaign backers, a fracking baron named Harold Hamm, lost $2 billion in a day and the stock market collapsed, in 24 hours it proposed a big bailout for those kind of firms. Right. So these guys, they get a good return on investment for their campaign donations, and it's a huge, huge part of the problem. Well, Earth Day is coming up. What is your message to Americans and people around the world on Earth Day? Well, this Earth Day is a big deal. It's the 50th anniversary. So the youth have said, let's take the first day, the 22nd, as a kind of day of commemoration. Let's think about the things that we've accomplished and the things we haven't accomplished. And then when that's over, let's use 
the next day and the day after that to get to work. April 23rd, the Thursday, is being called Finance Day. And that's when we're really taking on these banks and others. So that's the day if you have a Chase credit card in your wallet to cut it up and to do it on social media so everybody else can see. And your odds of having a Chase credit card are pretty damn good if you have an Amazon credit card, a United Mileage card, whatever. Mm -hmm. It takes a little work to go do that. But on the list of things that people have to do to deal with climate change, it's not like you're having to become a refugee and move to a camp someplace. It means you have to find a different credit card. <laughs> so you can do it. And it would be a huge signal to people like Chase that we're sick of it. We're not going to take it anymore. It's not okay to be trying to make money off the end of the planet. Right now, the oil, gas, and coal companies are laying waste to our planet. You'd think that these giant corporations would have all the money they need to continue full speed ahead, but no, they don't. They need money from banks to look for more coal, oil, and gas, and the big banks have been eager to comply. Chase is the worst. Since the Paris Climate Agreement, Chase has poured $196 billion into digging up more fossil fuels. That makes Chase just as responsible for the destruction of our planet as Exxon, Chevron, BP, and all the rest. The final day, Friday, the 24th of April, is politics day. And young people will be registering everybody to vote, and getting them set for November, because we're running out of four-year cycles to waste. If we want to have significant action by 2030, 2020 is about the latest we can possibly begin to go down that path. You know that governments don't turn on a dime. So it's a huge year in so many ways. There are two huge levers to pull. One of them is political. The other is financial. We need to yank as hard as we can on both of them and see what happens, see what kind of change we can still create. And speaking of the financial change, are there funds people can invest in, something like a 401k or an investment fund that is managed for people where all the stocks in it are ethical and yes. environmentally conscious? If you're an investor, it's now relatively easy to find fossil-free funds. If you go to gofossilfree.org, there'll be some ideas, but any investment advisor now can easily get you there. And the good news is, Alyssa, that if you... If you started investing in these a few years ago, you would have made out like a bandit. The right. fossil fuel system has underperformed the rest of the market by a huge percentage over the last eight or ten years, which you would expect because, you know, someone else is figuring out how to do the job of producing energy more cheaply and more cleanly. So they're going to get their lunch eaten. That's why their stocks are in the tank. If you need a credit card, you don't have to go to Chase Bank. There's aspiration bank on the web there's amalgamated bank on the east coast and beneficial state bank on the west coast and there's local credit unions that aren't invested in fossil fuel so these are the places to be keeping your money taking your credit card these are all places that we can exercise some leverage as long as we do it together and publicly that's why going to stopthemoneypipeline.com to kind of join in this joint effort of so many different groups would be a really good idea. So personally, do you think we can make the change in time for this to really make a difference? I don't know. I wish I could tell you for sure that if we did everything right at this point, it was going to work out. We know we're not going to stop global warming. We've already raised the temperature of one degree Celsius, and that's had enormous effect. We're not taking that back. And 
in fact, the temperature is definitely going to rise some more and there's going to be more damage done. The best science indicates that we have a narrow window left, albeit one that's closing, to make real change that might still affect the outcome in large ways. That period of leverage is short. As I said, the scientists tell us that really the next decade is our best chance to be making huge change. This is the existential question of our time. In the same way that a century ago, for our parents and grandparents, the existential question was about fascism in Europe, and people had to cross the Atlantic and kill or be killed in order to deal with it. We don't have to do anything that hard, but we have to do more than we're doing now. Our planet is outside its comfort zone, so we need to be outside our comfort zone, and we need to be there fast. Well, thank you for your life's work, Bill. I appreciate you so much, and thanks for being on Sorry Not Sorry. We leave you today with Joy Harjo, reading her breathtaking poem, Remember. Remember the sky you were born under. Know each of the stars' stories. Remember the moon. Know who she is. Remember the sun's birth at dawn. That is the strongest point of time. Remember sundown and the giving away tonight. Remember your birth, how your mother struggled to give birth. You are evidence of her mother and her mother and hers. Remember your father. He is your life also. Remember the earth whose skin you are. Red earth, black earth, yellow earth, white earth, brown earth. We are earth. Remember the plants, trees, animal life, who all have their tribes, their families, their histories too. Talk with them. Listen to them. They are alive poems. Remember the wind. Remember her voice. She knows the origin of this universe. Remember that you are all people and all people are you. Remember, and this universe is you. Remember all is in motion, is growing, is you. Remember language comes from this. Remember the dance languages that life is. Remember. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our associate producer is Ben Jackson. Editing and engineering by Natasha Jacobs. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. That's my boy. Please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. 